So hey, everybody, welcome to Skype a Scientist Live. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking all about poop and gut microbes. Um, everybody loves host microbe interactions, right? So uh, we're going to be talking to Jessica McCann. Um, we're really excited to have her today. Just as a heads up, uh, this sort of uh, live stream session happens once a day, uh, Monday through Friday, for the most part. Today we're taking, or tomorrow we're taking a day off um, because our snake expert has no internet at home. Uh, so hearts go out to poor David Steen. Uh, but we'll be back here Friday for Fart Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, if you can support our program, uh, we really, really appreciate that. That's on patreon.com slash Skype a scientist or paypal.me for one-time donations. Um, paypal.me slash Skype a scientist. Um, those donations are all tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So uh, let's get the ball rolling. Jess, do you want to introduce yourself and what you do? Okay, great. Thank you, Sarah, for organizing this. This is really wonderful. Um, so yes, my name is Jessica McCann, and I have been a microbiologist for 20 years, which I just did the math in preparing this now. Um, so I've studied all sorts of microbes, host microbe interactions, the microbes that can make you sick, and the microbes that we think help keep you healthy. And so um, microbiologists are scientists that study things that are too small to be seen with the naked eye. So to think of the smallest thing you've ever seen, uh, think of the smallest thing that you can think of and microbes you need typically need a microscope to see, but they include things like bacteria, viruses, yeasts, and other small living organisms. And, um, microbes really were the first thing, right? The, we think that they were the first thing on the living, uh, first living thing on the planet. So there's never been an animal, plant, really um, organism that's grown and evolved without microbes. And I think over time, um, talking about long millions of years, animals and plants have learned to recognize the difference between microbes that can make you sick and microbes that are um, help keep you healthy or don't make you sick or just part of your um, part of your life and so all animals have grown and evolved with bacteria and the things that I've um, so over the years I've again I've studied um, bacteria that live in your respiratory tract in your ears um, that can make you sick but I've more become interested in the bacteria that can help keep you healthy or signal to your body um, when something is not going right and um, today, I want to talk about the bacteria that live in your gut and specifically in your poop. And so I'm gonna share my screen now. And so we can just, I just have a few things to talk a little bit about what we do in the lab where I work. And so um, my boss, his name is Dr. John Rawls at Duke University. And what we study are microbes that help convert food into energy. And this is, I like this picture because it really demonstrates how you as a person, you have microbes all over your body, all in your body, all over your skin, in your nose, in your ears, between your toes, under your fingernails. And almost all of those microbes um, will not make you sick. And if in some cases they help prevent microbes from making you sick, right? And so I think especially now we're really hearing a lot about the germs and viruses that can make you sick, but a lot of times they're microbes that actually protect you from getting sick. And so 
Um, really what today I want to talk about is what happens to food that you eat and where the microbes come into play and in helping keep you healthy. And so when you put food in your mouth, right, you chew it up, it goes down into your stomach and then into your small intestine, which is the darker pink thing that goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And there are some bacteria in your small intestine, but most of them are in this big, bumpy, lighter pink part, and that is your large intestine. And this is where almost all of your poop lives and all of the microbes that are associated with your poop. There is a lot, right? So in this part of the large intestine. And what happens is they are, this, um, this is an image taken very, very close up of all the different types of bacteria that are in your poop and associated with the cells in your large intestine. They're not really this color. Someone changed the color of them so that'd be easier to see on a microscope image, but they're all different shapes and sizes and they all live in a big jumbly bunch um, and help to um, break down your food in your intestine. And so when we think about the microbes in our poop, um, this, we can look at another image and say, let's say that you took that tube of your intestine and opened it up and then took a slice right through it to try and see. And so this is this, the blue parts here are the cells in your intestine. All of this green stuff is actually mucus. And so um, you're just like in your nose and in your mouth, the long part of your large, uh, the walls of your large intestine are lined with what's basically snot. And it's kind of a barrier. So while I said these bacteria um, don't hurt you, they need to be kept away from the actual cells of your intestine to do their job, which is help you digest food that you can't digest. And so this mucus barrier helps keep those bacteria away from the cells in your, in your body. But when you can see here, I think um, each one of these pink, purple, and yellow um, bacteria here, these are all just bacteria. And this is actually a piece of a mouse intestine. Um, but we think that your human intestine looks a lot like this as well. And so I think what I'm trying to um, show you here is that this, again, this is a very, very close up image. So we are getting really close in. You can see like all these different bacteria. Um, the colors are, again, are made uh, different by the uh, the person operating the microscope. They're not actually that color, but it's just a way to see all the different organisms in the, in the gut. What you can see is they're really jam-packed in there and they are just loving living in poop. And so uh, what do we know about poop? So right, what does microbes have to do with poop? And so let's just get these poop facts out of the way because I know this is what everyone wants to hear. But if you weighed your poop, Put it on the scale, how gross is that? About half of the weight would just be bacteria, okay? So even though they're very tiny, there's so many of them that actually makes up most of your, the weight of your poop. The rest of the weight is made up, so what, so poop is about half the weight. The other half is water, cells that have rubbed off the inside of your intestine, and undigested food. So the food and you know, if you happen to swallow a nickel or a tooth or something like that, anything that's undigested, that would also pass through. So um, poop is made up of a lot of different things, but really what I wanted to make sure you understood is that most of it is bacteria, right? But on average, <clears throat> a person produces about 128 grams of poop a day. 
right? So this equals about the weight of two hamsters or about one hockey puck or almost the weight of a baseball. So you just kind of think about that. It puts it in a little perspective, um, just how much poop your body can make every day. And it's, and it's waste, it's stuff that your body can't use anymore. Um, but what bacteria help us do is um, all of the foods here that I've shown, bananas, broccoli, apples, and wheat, they all have certain chemicals in them called fiber. And fiber are really long chains of sugar that are really hard to break down. And without bacteria in our guts, we would actually not be able to get energy from that fiber. So we would not be able to break it down and use it as energy to have our cells along our intestine live very well. And a lot of people think that the bacteria that grow in your guts um, that break down this fiber, right, actually are part of what keeps you healthy from eating healthy foods. So there's a lot of other reasons to eat healthy foods like apples and whole grain breads and bananas and broccoli um, <clears throat> because they're full of vitamins and lots of other nutrients that you need. But one of the cool things is that we know that people who eat a lot more of these types of, of foods um, have different gut microbes than people who eat more, um, you know, less of these foods and more things that are easier to digest, um, like a lot of simple sugar, like what you would find in cookies and um, white bread and crackers and pasta and things like that. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about real quickly is we use model organisms to study how gut microbes um, live in the intestine. So one of the mital organisms that we use is a zebrafish. And why, one of the things that I want you to think about is why we would use a model organism rather than try to do studies in people. So can we say, hey person, I want you to eat a lot of really unhealthy food for a month just so that I can look at your gut microbes. With that, do you think people would be happy about that? Probably not. And so one of the things we can do though is use an organism like a zebrafish. And the cool thing about zebrafish is you can see right through them until they're about two weeks old. And so in these two fish, we have um, fish that were grown and they don't have any bacteria in them at all. And what we do is we add back, so these, back, these fish have no bacteria in their guts. When we feed them bacteria, we can see this is a cell type that lights up that says, oh, I know bacteria here. This is part of the immune system to help defend against those bacteria. And we can see exactly how the microbes um, affect those, those cells and where they go to and how to, fight the, how to fight either infection or just recognize that now there are bacteria here in the, in the zebrafish. Jess, could you tell us how these pictures were taken? Oh, sure. So this is a picture, this is on what a microscope called a stereoscope. And like I said, the zebrafish themselves, these, are, these fish are only about six days old, so they've hatched six days ago. And they're still alive. Um, they're just in a little, they're anesthetized, and then they can, we put them back and they start swimming again. Um, but then the stereoscope has a fluorescent reader on it. And so when, um, when these cells turn on a gene that recognizes bacteria, for example, they turn fluorescent. And so the microscope can detect that fluorescence in the, in, um, the fish. Um, the other model organism that we use, and so this is the one that I work with mostly, are mice. And so my, the main focus of my project is to understand why, um, why some foods make 
people gain weight and especially in kids. And so I really am trying to understand um, uh, some of the gut bacteria, the role of the gut bacteria in pediatric obesity. And so kids that gain more weight than other kids. And what we do with our mice is that we feed mice diets that either have lots of things like fiber and plants, and they have a certain amount of microbes in their gut, or we give them high fatty foods, things like cheeseburgers and ice cream. Not really, but it's kind of the mouse diet equivalent of that. And then we look at their gut bacteria. And one of the cool things that scientists have found is if you take the bacteria from a mouse that's been fed a lot of high fat food and feed it to a mouse um, that then is given a normal diet, those mice, regardless of what they eat, they will gain weight. And so we think that there are certain bacteria that are better at getting calories out of your food and translating that into energy, which can then, if you don't use it by exercising a lot, could turn into fat in your body. And so these are a lot, these are mostly the experiments that I do. And so I'm lucky I get to have little um, mouse friends. Um, they're very sweet because they like all the snacks that I give them. And um, I get to see them and weigh them and watch and collect my favorite sample, which is poop. And so we look at their poop bacteria and see how it changes depending on the diets they've been eating and the bacteria that we've fed them to, in, to make, to put into their guts. Um, okay. Did you, did you have more, did you want to pause for questions, Sarah, or do you want me to keep going? I think I just have two more slides. Go ahead and finish up your slides and then okay. we'll get into the Q&A. Okay. And so um, one of the cool things about these gut bacteria is they actually live in no air. So they air, we need air to breathe, we need oxygen to breathe, but for these bacteria, it's actually toxic and they can die if they're just left out in the air. And so when we're growing them, we actually grow them in this anaerobic chamber. So here I am, this is basically just a big plastic bag that's filled with gas that has no oxygen and the bacteria love to grow in there. So that's where I work most of the time is when I'm manipulating um, the bacteria themselves and making my poop soup cocktails for the mice. Um, that's where I grow them. And then the rest of the time I work at my lab bench, which looks like this. Um, so we move tiny amounts of liquids around with these pipettes and these tips to keep everything sterile so that only the bacteria we're trying to add to the mice get in and not other bacteria say shed off of our skin and hair and other things. Cause like I said, bacteria are everywhere. And so this is where I spend most of my time during the day when I'm not um, writing about bacteria and reading about bacteria, which are the other two main activities I think most scientists do. And this is the group of people that I work with. So this is my boss, Dr. John Rawls. And here's me. And this we were all in a lab retreat in the mountains of North Carolina. And we have a great, wonderful team of lots of different people. And they all do uh, different jobs in the lab. And so one of the things um, I really like about my job is I get to work with a lot of cool, interesting people. And they all, we all work on one project, which is trying to understand how bacteria add, how bacteria change your ability to get nutrients from food. But everybody works on a small aspect of that. So we can really do answer lots of different questions and have lots of great discussions. And then um, one of the questions, try to preempt some questions that I usually get when I talk to classes and stuff is, um, I have a list of careers that you can have uh, with a degree in microbiology. So this is a little bit different off topic, but 
Um, these are all things that my friends from graduate school and we all studied different parts of microbiology. These are all things that my friends are doing for their jobs right now. And so a bunch of my friends help work to find new treatments for diseases like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and bacterial and viral infections. And they do that by working for the government and for drug companies and for different research labs. Um, I have a friend that just goes out and tries to figure out new species of microbes, both in our guts and in the soil. We've only really understand maybe one to 5% of all of the bacteria that exist. So there's lots of new species. If you wanna name a microbe after yourself, um, you can discover one. One of the reasons I started um, going into microbiology was I really wanted to understand how to help plants and animals stay healthy and grow better. So like I said in the beginning, all plants and animals um, have an association with microbes that helps them to grow better, get nutrients, um, and live their lives. And so we don't understand half of what any of those microbes are actually doing for those plants and animals and coral reefs and all sorts of other exciting things. And so this is a great thing to try and, try and learn as we try to help save our planet. And then I have a friend that works on keeping bacteria off equipment going, that's going to space so we don't contaminate other planets and other places that we go, like to Mars. And that is it for me. So I'm ready right, for questions. We have lots of questions here. So uh, buckle up. Here we go. Um, so how do bacteria get oxygen from our body? You cut out for the last part. How uh, do bacteria get oxygen from our body? So most bacteria on our body on the outside, it just flows in through their cell wall. So they have... Um, most bacteria have a thick cell wall on the outside, but oxygen can still get through. The ones in your intestine, they don't want oxygen, and they actually have enzymes that are involved in getting rid of it, detoxifying it, keeping it out. So in your small intestine, one of the reasons why poop smells so bad is that instead of, um, well, so our bodies, we breathe out CO2. It doesn't smell bad. Those are the, that's the waste product. Their waste product's more like sulfur, that rotten egg smell. The reason why poop smells so bad is because bacteria are just doing everything they can to get rid of oxygen. And a lot of those waste products from just getting energy just really stink. And that's what makes poop smell bad. So the bacteria in your gut actually don't want oxygen. Bacteria on your skin, it just flows through, just goes right in from the air. Cool. So um, <laughs> what kinds, so what, you study mice and zebrafish, right? So why have you chosen those two animals to study? I know you said the zebrafish are see-through, so that's why you use those, but why would you pick a mouse compared to maybe a monkey that's more like us or a pig or any other animals? There's a lot of reasons why people use mice instead of monkeys or pigs. And there are people who study, so there is a group in um, St. Louis that's using pigs. They can actually raise them without bacteria. But the two main reasons we use zebrafish and mice is number one, we can raise them without any bacteria. So usually when a mouse is born, it gets gut bacteria from its mom right away. The gut's colonized within seconds of it being born. We have a system where the mice are growing in a big bubble without any ox, sorry, without any microbes. And so then we can take those mice and add the microbes we're interested in and see how that changes their ability to gain weight 
their ability to gain fat mass, um, their ability to use different foods over others, um, which, which microbes make them healthier or not. That would be really hard to do with a monkey or another animal and very, very expensive. Zebrafish, we can do the same, where once they're hatched in an egg, they're sterile, we can actually bleach those eggs and then hatch them into media that has no microbes. And then we can, again, add the microbes we're interested in, seeing how those microbes affect their ability to take up fat, for example, or take up protein, and then turn that into energy for their muscles and their tissues. The cool thing about zebrafish is we can do that on hundreds of animals very quickly and understand um, part of the scientific method is to repeat experiments over and over again. So in zebrafish, we can hatch 100 animals, repeat those experiments over and over again, and get a really good idea of what those microbes are doing. Mice, it's a little harder, but mice are more like humans in that they're mammals. So we can do lots of mice, grow them without, and grow them without microbes, add the microbes we're interested in, and then repeat those experiments on smaller numbers, but still on mammals, right, that are more like humans and hope to translate some of that information into things that we can do to help humans, say, stop gaining weight, um, make weight loss treatments work better for people, stuff like that. Very cool. Um, so we've got a question from a 10-year-old. What are the cells in your poop called? They are called, oh my gosh, well, they're mostly called epithelial cells. <laughs> and epithelial cells line the inside of your mouth, the inside of your throat, the inside of your intestinal system. And the cool thing about those is they get turned over a lot, right? Because every time, I think it's every two to three days, the whole lining of your intestine is all new cells. And so the dead cells get just get shed off, not because they're hurt, just because they're older and your intestine is moving a lot and seeing a lot of food and everything go through. So those epithelial cells all get shed off um, and replaced with new ones and that ends up in your poop. Awesome. Um, so we've got a question from Sammy, age 12. How is it possible um, that zebrafish don't have any bacteria when they're first born? We make it that way in the lab. If they were living in nature, they would be covered with bacteria right away. But what we do is we take a mommy fish and a daddy fish, and we put them in a tank with sterile media. So the media has no bacteria in it. And then we can take those, those fish eggs when they're first hatched, have kind of a hard shell around them called a chorion we can bleach that chorion. So even if there were microbes from the mom and the dad, we can bleach it away. And the bleach kills all the bacteria. Then we move the eggs into a media that we've made. Um, so just a liquid with salt, basically like a mild lake water, kind of, because zebrafish um, are in fresh water, not salt water. And, we, um, and then we can add whatever bacteria we want or leave them what we call germ-free, which um, means no microbes at all. Very cool. Um, so Courtney, age 13, asks, can you learn stuff about people by looking at their poop and learning, looking, going through it? Yes. So I work, I'm very lucky to work with a very cool clinical team where we actually are, we just finished a clinical study where we had teenagers with obesity. They gave us their poop every six weeks while they were on um, a different trial. And we have one of the labs is looking at the food that those teenagers ate throughout the trial using 
the DNA of that food. So if they ate meat, plants, um, she's able to um, basically identify all of the foods that that patient ate over a period of time just by looking at the DNA of those foods. There are lots of other chemicals, like we can tell what kind of drugs people might be taking, maybe if they're taking blood pressure medication or antibiotics, we can tell that from their poop. Um, what else? We can just understand a lot about which bacteria are present in the poop just by giving them names and looking at their DNA. So we can, there's actually a lot of information you can get from poop. Very cool. Um, <laughs> one person uh, who I can't find anymore. Oh, from Delilah, age 12. Um, how is bacteria made? Oh, that's a good one. So we, the first bacteria are probably about, I think it's like 2 billion years old at this point. Um, and the earth is 4 billion years old. So, um, but bacteria, what they do is they just make copies of themselves and divide in half every, um, depending if it's a bacteria that is commonly used in the lab, we know they divide every 30 minutes. And so if you have one bacteria, 30 minutes later, you'll have two an hour later, you'll have four. They grow very fast. Some bacteria grow much more slowly. A lot of the gut bacteria that we grow in our anaerobic chamber, so that big plastic bag I showed you with no oxygen, they can take three days to double. But really, they just grow by making copies of themselves and splitting off um, into two cells. Oh, I lost you. There we go. Sorry, I was in the chat instead of the uh, main session. So um, this is a question that uh, may sound crass, but I think it's a good question. Why does poop come out brown? And why is it sometimes green? And like, what is the deal? Okay, so there are chemicals that your pancreas makes to help you digest fat. They're called bile acids. And that's what makes your poop brown. Um, but if you eat a lot of blueberries, for example, your poop will be green. And if you eat a lot of other foods, right, um, sometimes your poop will look a different color. Sometimes that has to do with the microbes, and sometimes that has to do with the enzymes that your small intestine and your gallbladder and your pancreas are making to help you to digest, sorry, your gallbladder, not pancreas, um, to help you to digest the fats in your food. And those, those are what make your fat, make your poop actually change color usually. But if you eat a lot of like grocery store bright blue frosting, uh, that was something I saw very recently. Your poop will definitely be a different color. Um, can you tell that someone is a vegetarian just by looking at their poop? By looking at their poop bacteria, yes. And actually it's a really funny story we just um, heard. If someone is a vegan, um, what will happen, uh, you can really tell the difference between their microbes and someone who eats a lot of meat. Vegetarians and omnivores are people who eat a lot of plants, a lot of vegetables, and a lot of meat, um, you know, eat basically all foods. They're harder to tell the difference between someone who just, who mostly eats meat, right? Um, but you can, you can distinguish somebody who's a vegan, so eats no animal products just looking at their poop bacteria. Not maybe, maybe not by looking at the actual quality of their poop, but if you actually identified all the bacteria in your poop, then yes, you could tell someone is a vegan. Vegetarians and people who eat all foods are a little bit harder to distinguish, but. Um, okay, we've got a question from Eli, age nine. How do the animals survive for any amount of time without bacteria? 
it's, you know, it's funny. The mice seem to do fine. One of the things um, we do notice is that their immune systems are different. Um, so they definitely seem like when you do introduce bacteria, they do tend to be more um, likely to get sick even from just normal bacteria. And we think that's because their immune systems haven't had time to learn which ones are good and which ones are bad. That usually happens, we think, within the first zero to six months to two years of life for a human. For a mouse, that would be like between the first probably about six weeks of life. And so um, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe about the first three weeks. So um, that tends to make them react differently to microbes. But they're, they eat fine, they grow to a nice ripe old age, they have babies just fine. Um, yep. We don't know how that would be for other organisms that require microbes for nutrients. Things like worms that live deep in the bottom of the ocean, right, that can't live without their microbes to make nutrients from a very poor environment that does not have a lot of other nutrients available. We don't know what that would be like. Nobody's done those types of experiments yet. Cool. Um, so what's your PhD in? My PhD is in microbiology. So I studied the bacteria that cause tuberculosis. Um, you know, those pictures that you see of people in the suits with the hoods and all of that stuff. That was my whole life for five years. I lived in that. And we, um, I basically studied how those bacteria were able to um, cause disease. They live inside cells in your lung. So how that works. And then um, for my postdoc is when I got started looking at pediatric um, microbes associated with kids more and how that changed their ability to both um, recognize things that were to cause allergies and other stuff like that. So we looked at how early life exposure to microbes, like I've heard, maybe some of you have heard, like maybe you should play in the dirt more, right? To get more early life exposure to bacteria how that might affect the, um, how that might change whether you get allergies or not later in life. So that's more of what I studied. And then I was asked to help on this clinical trial more recently to look more at gut microbes in kids and um, with obesity. So that's where Very I got cool. more involved. So, Very cool. But it's actually really cool. So I've learned a lot about healthy diets and how hard it can be to get healthy food if you don't have a lot of money and, um, and so that's changed a lot of my attitude too about just understanding what it means to be healthy and doing the best you can in the circumstances you have and really just, just trying to make healthy choices as much as you can, but don't be too hard on yourself if you want a cookie every now and then. Thank God for that in these times. <laughs> Especially um, now. Yeah. Um, so why do sometimes we have diarrhea? That is really interesting. And so sometimes... Um, we know this in the context of, if you take antibiotics, for example, and kill off a lot of your healthy bacteria, then all of a sudden bacteria that are really good at growing with air can start growing in your intestine and cause uh, inflammation. And when that happens, you're, it's your body saying, you're a bacteria that doesn't belong. I'm going to wash you out with a lot of water <laughs> that makes my poop pretty runny and makes me feel like I have to go to the bathroom all the time. So there's a lot of, most of the time it's a virus that causes that. Usually it can be microbes, which is much more rare. Usually people who have traveler's diarrhea and going to other places, that tends to be more microbial because they may encounter microbes they're not used to. 
most kids that have diarrhea, it tends to either be um, a food allergy or a virus. So, cool. Um, what's your most favorite interesting fact about poop? Oh man, let me think. There's so many good ones. I think just that poop is half bacteria because bacteria pretty much are the coolest things on the planet. And so just the fact that poop is half bacteria and also you are also mostly bacteria, right? So you're covered with it. It's all over you. It's in your body. But yeah, just the fact that poop is half bacteria. I think that's pretty cool, right? You, most people think it's food, but, but it's no. Yeah. Um, do you think that your job is hard? Yes. It's, I would say it's challenging, but it keeps it very interesting. I get to do different interesting things every day. I get to talk to super smart people and I get to think about really smart questions. And I get to talk to kids a lot too, which is awesome. Um, actually, every time I do one of these sessions, I get a really cool idea for a research project too. So if anyone has any cool ideas, feel free to share them. So um, yeah, but it is hard. I definitely, the things that I think prepared me to do my job are to love to read. So I read a lot. Math, I don't love it, but I practice it and tried hard to do a lot of it. <laughs> and I do use math every day to try and solve problems. Um, and just uh, keeping an open mind, right? And trying to stay creative and think about new questions and new ways to solve problems. Awesome. Um, what is your opinion on probiotics that are available commercially? And uh, do you think any of them in particular are best for gut health? I, so one of the things that we've learned about probiotics is that if you stop taking them, you will, they will just disappear from your gut. So a lot of the things that about probiotics is what we understand is what seems to work better is if you take probiotics mixed with a fiber, um, like, um, or just eating a lot of fiber-based foods that help retain those bacteria that are supposedly healthy. I personally um, haven't seen any studies that show that any particular probiotic is better than any other in keeping you healthy. The things that do seem to help are um, fibers, eating healthy, you know, all the stuff that everybody, even my, you know, ourselves are looking for ways to help change the gut microbiota to keep you healthier. But the things that do seem to alter it are eating lots of fiber, right? Those, those people tend to have a gut microbiota that doesn't change over time. And if it does get um, changed by like say an antibiotic treatment or something like that, it rebounds to their normal state much faster than people who don't eat a lot of fiber and vegetables and other things like that. So there are no, and then the other thing too is that people who actually get prebiotics and test them for content find that often the strain that's listed on the label is not the one that's in the bottle. The counts that are listed on, so the actual number of microbes that are listed as living in your, in your formula are not actually there and they're often dead. So it's still a very untested science. That being said, I know a lot of people that take them and say they feel healthier and there don't seem to be a lot of risk to taking them. Ideally, you would eat healthy foods and try to get your microbes from potentially fermented foods. Um, 
things like that. But I personally don't um, take any prebiotics. The so two. Okay. On that note, is kombucha good for your gut? It, some people claim to say that it makes them feel awesome. I personally don't like the way it tastes. But there haven't been any, again, there haven't been any studies on any um, um, fermented food that has actually showed a real readout in health. That being said, there's no harm in it, right? And if it tastes good to you and it makes you feel good, go for it. The thing I think to watch is just, just make sure you limit sugar. So some of them have more sugar than others. But. Um, that being said, the two cases where probiotics do seem to help is post-antibiotic diarrhea. So if you do eat things like yogurt or take um, a culturel or something that's maybe been prescribed, that can help you respond better after taking antibiotics and you get diarrhea. The other thing is if you have a Clostridium difficile infection, which is a bad microbe that can cause really terrible infection in your gut, usually people who have been in the hospital get that. That actually leads perfectly into our next question about poop transplants. Or yes, poop transplants. so that is the only thing, that is the only single thing that is approved by the FDA that you can have a fecal transplant and it actually will work. So I just came back from a meeting in October and it was therapeutic microbiome meeting. So everyone was talking about how to help people recover from illness, um, maybe lose weight, help treatment for things like diabetes and other things still the all of the trials that have been done for things like weight loss type 2 diabetes other things the only thing that fecal transplants do really seem to help is treatment for clostridium difficile infections i guess it's now clostridialis difficile but um yeah so that is still and unfortunately now um there's some screening still that needs to be done um it, it, it's, not an, it's not a zero risk procedure. So we, we don't know all of the antibiotic resistance cassettes that could go along with these things. And so the FDA is really almost slowing down on the, even those procedures because two people died recently after getting an FMT for Clostridium infection. So, and that was because they got then infected with the donor stool that had an antibiotic resistant E. coli in it. So it was a bummer. That's very scary. Yeah. Um, so someone asked about what you do in your free time as a scientist. There's a lot of guitars behind you. Are you a musician too? No, that's my husband's. Um, I play very piano very poorly. I have two children. Right now, homeschooling is my free time, um, just like a lot of other parents, I'm sure. I like to sew. I like to walk. And I love to read novels. The cheesier, the better. So I read a lot of cheesy novels, historical novels, detective novels, all those kinds of things. That's my favorite. So we've had a couple questions about corn. Corn is one of those things, you eat it, and it comes out the same way it goes in. What is that about? <laughs> it has a very tough shell. So I, my first job out of college was, I was a technician at the wastewater treatment plant on Deer Island in Boston, Massachusetts. And we had, if any of you ever flown in out of Boston, Logan Airport, you see those big egg-shaped digesters. There's, I think, eight, six or eight of them, and they're huge. And basically all of the poop gets shuffled into them and they're, they work like giant large intestines. They're big bacterial digesters. Even in those digesters, the only things that don't make it out, well, the only thing that doesn't make it out is corn, like, or the only thing that survives <laughs> that digestion process is corn. And it just has a really tough shell. If it's cooked enough, 
then you can digest it. But usually when it's after eating corn on the cob, probably that you probably see it come out in your poop. But even the toughest microbes, it's a tough one to digest. Um, so is the, are the gut microbes that are present in babies different from those present in adults? Yes, you don't see, people don't get their adult microbiota until starting by age two, and usually more about age seven or eight. Yeah, so babies have, and it does, does depend what they eat. So one of the things that we've learned is that babies that are fed uh, breast milk tend to keep those baby microbes longer than babies that are fed formula. They tend to get develop an adult microbiome much later. I'm sorry, much earlier than babies that are breastfed. Okay, you can hear me now. Um, so uh, how quickly do bacteria reproduce? It depends. Some bacteria, like the ones that cause disease, those grow fast. So you may have heard of salmonella, E. coli. Um, one of the reasons why they're so good <clears throat> at causing disease is they can grow fast like on your food if it's a little bit warm, like every like 20 to 30 minutes they grow. Other microbes, um, like the one that causes TB, for example, that one is a little different. It grows once every day, takes about 24 hours to double. And then other gut microbes take about three days to double. Um, so it depends. I mean, some there's a whole range. If they have access to enough food and the perfect conditions, they grow faster than if they don't have that access to food and good temperature and all that kind of stuff. How long is a human intestine? Oh, oh my goodness. You know, I should have been prepared for this one. I can tell you how long a mouse intestine is. <laughs> it's about 35 centimeters, which is about, uh, it's about 15 or so inches. You know, I honestly don't remember. You'll have to Google that one afterwards. What's the name of one type of bacteria that in most contexts, at least, is good for us to have in our gut? Um, it's called bacteroides, this is a mouthful already, bacteroides theta iota micron, right? And it's a good one. It's really good. It's the reason why it's so good is because it can digest like every plant polysaccharide, every plant fiber that it's thrown at it. And so it's really good at making a good healthy niche. And it usually, it's usually about half of the total bacteria in your gut are this bacteroides strain. And we just call it B theta for short. The other one um, that people associate with health is lactobacillus. That's the one you see in yogurt and other things like that. Awesome. So it's been at this point about 40 minutes and we try to cap it at 45. And so we always ask people uh, the same two questions at the end before we close it out. And the first question is, what is something that you wish everybody knew about your area of expertise? And then the second question is, what do you wish everybody in the world knew about literally anything, any piece of information that you think everybody should know? Well, the thing I wish everyone would know, and I hopefully have made it clear, is that unfortunately, there's no easy way to stay healthy that's going to just be like fecal transplant or anything like that. Unfortunately, it's just eating your vegetables, getting exercise, and that's how your gut will stay healthy, just like the rest of you. So that's the other thing. So I'm always telling my friends, don't eat anyone's poop. Don't put anyone's poop in your butt. Don't do anything like that. Don't do fecal transplants. Unfortunately, they just 
even if they did help for a little while, they tend, people go bite back to their own gut microbiome type um, eventually. So just eat healthy and do your best. And the thing that I wish everyone knew about anything, hmm. Oh, no, I wasn't prepared for that one, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I guess that it's that we're running out of phosphorus for plants. <laughs> that we're almost at peak phosphorus. So one of the cool things that micro, microbiologists that work in plant science are doing is trying to come up with a way to keep plants and crops and everything alive using microbes. So all of the phosphorus is controlled by a certain number of groups in the Middle East, and we're running out of it. I did not see that one coming. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a crazy thing that I wouldn't have known had I not gone to a bunch of like plant science microbiome talks. So plants really, really need good microbes to grow well. And so there's so many people that are working on getting good, healthy crops using different microbes and trying to understand that. And one of the things that plants also really need to grow is phosphorus, and it's really limiting nutrient. So awesome. hopefully we can make microbes that help plants so we don't run out of food in the world. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, not to, not to end it on a down note, but that's okay. We'll also do some positive things right now and then we'll be a-okay. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Erin. Thank you for signing as always. Um, Thank you, of course, for joining us today. We had a lot of questions today um, that were so amazing. And I'm sorry that we didn't get to all of them. We only tried to keep this at 45 minutes. But if your family is super curious and you personally want to have a scientist to talk to for a half hour or so, you can do that. Go to skypeascientist.com and you can request a scientist for your family. Put in four, the four families tab is where you want to click and then you can sign up. Um, we have plenty of scientists to go around, so there's no reason to not. Um, please spread the word among your friends and family that this is an, a, a thing that you can do. We've had a lot of scientists sign up this month, and so we just want to spread the word as much as we can. Um, also, Friday, we at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be talking about farts with the author of the book, Does It Fart? It's a compendium of, of animals and whether they fart or don't fart. And so um, there may be some overlap about microbes a little bit in that session, um, but we're mostly talking about different kinds of animal farts and what the deal is. And it's, uh, Danny's hilarious and wonderful. Uh, she's the author that will be joining us. And so you don't need to have read the book to come. It'll be a good time. Um, and also we've been doing trivia nights for adults. This week's is sold out, but you can join us uh, next week. It's $5 to play. Uh, all this, the money goes to support our program here. And if you know Allie Ward from the Ologies podcast, she'll be co-hosting with me next week. And she is a riot, so it'll be a good time. Um, lastly, we always say, if you can support our program by donating, it really helps us uh, keep this content coming out regularly. Uh, this is my full-time job and we're completely donor supported. So if you can help, go to skypeascientist.com. You can either go to patreon.com slash skypeascientist or paypal.me slash Skype a scientist. Thank you again, uh, Jess and Aaron, for joining us. This has been so informative and wonderful. Thank you. Great. Bye. Bye.